This program has been made possible through the support of Vanda, creators of solutions for non-24 disorder. ACB thanks Vanda for their support. Learn more about non-24 by visiting their website at www.non24.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Okay, welcome to the CCLVI discussion group. And our focus is the CCLVI family. That's what friends are for. Would you like me to give the CEU code? Yes, thank you. For those of you who are taking CEU credits, I'm going to read the code twice. The opening code is 23137. Once again, that's 23137. Welcome. This is Kathy King, and this is a discussion group sponsored by CCLVI, a low vision affiliate of ACB. We're the only affiliate focused on low vision to our knowledge. CCLVI stands for Council of Citizens with Low Vision. We know there are many abbreviations during the conference, so we wanted to clarify that for you. That said, everyone's welcome to this session. In fact, one of our facilitators is low vision and the other is blind. As the discussion progresses, please raise your hand to chime in with comments. And our host will call on you when we indicate. We have several topics we believe will be of interest and helpful for our group discussion. Some of these points are interconnected, so you'll hear us talk about certain strategies or obstacles more than once. It's all part of the journey. Finally, please know you are a vital part of this session. It's not just about Tom and Kathy. Please join in the conversation. This session is about what we do in CCLVI. NACB. We help one another. Okay, we're going to start off just with two very short introductions, and I'm going to be first. I'm Kathy King. I've been low vision for two and a half years. It started when I was in Florida, and I was a professor at University of Central Florida in Orlando. Just after I moved to Tennessee in February of this year, I had another stroke and the optic nerve disease, NAION, struck again. This was a dramatic further loss of vision, and now I'm legally blind. I have some functional sight, but not a lot. Based on the great support of our group and others, I know I'm in the beginning stages of the low vision journey. I'm excited we're able to offer this session at the conference because it provides and demonstrates how ACB and our affiliates like CCLBI provide essential personal support for people with visual impairment. The affiliate groups are still my main support teams. Tom? And my name, thank you, Kathy. My name is Tom Layless. I became legally blind about 40 years ago. And uh, probably in the last two or three years, I can now say I'm totally blind. So I've, my low vision journey is uh, been uh, it's taken quite a while, and so I've had some time to kind of gradually get used to the situation, if you can even imagine getting used to it. But uh, 
it uh, it's better than having it happen to you very quickly. And so um, I've been involved with CCLEI for about the last, I'm thinking 12, 14 years, something like that. I've uh, been a member of ACB for about 20 years and I'm a past president of the Wyoming Council of the Blind here where I live. And, and, um, and I also have uh, a low vision support group here in our little town in Wyoming. And uh, back 40 years ago, when I first became legally blind, I started this support group back in Northern California where we lived and, and uh, that group was still going. And so low vision support groups are huge to me. I think they are where the rubber meets the road when it comes to folks that uh, are beginning their low vision journey um, for with whatever um, eye disease they have. So I'm glad to be with you. And, and uh, I'm thinking this is going to be a pretty interesting session. I believe it will, mostly because of the variety of experience I expect we have in our Zoom room. Yeah. So, Tom, one of the first questions we thought of a, a topic to initiate our discussion is, so you're new to low vision. Now what? Tom, <laughs> and I, where I can, are you in the process and how did you deal with it? I can actually remember 40 years ago when I just got back from a surgery that tried to re, 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 um, re, reinstall, I guess, uh, my, the retina I had in my only good eye at the time. And I was in a tailspin. Our kids were still uh, junior high, high school age. I was in the middle of my career as a forest engineer. And with that career, of course, you have to have a lot of mobility. You have to be able to move around in the woods, both driving and walking and, and navigating. And I, I asked myself exactly that, now what? And um, how I got, how I answered that question, there's three different phases to that. Number one, I, I still, I was legally blind, so I still could see pictures and I could kind of read with magnifiers. And uh, I remember seeing a book on the coffee table in my ophthalmologist waiting room. I can't remember the title of the book, but on the front page of the, of the, the cover of the book, there was a, a fella that had sunglasses on and he was crouching in the corner of a room. And right underneath it, it, it said, uh, if I can remember right, it said, so now what am I gonna do? And I'm thinking, okay, I, I made up my mind right then. I do not wanna be that guy. Thinking, holy cow, woe is me. Uh, how am I going to get past this, this and that? I was not going to be the guy that that sat there in the corner and felt sorry for himself. At my age, at about 32 or three, whatever it was then, I wasn't ready for that. And so I then had to say, okay, what am I going to do to, to get past this uh, mentally? Because really, it goes to mental real quick. 
And uh, the thing was, I made up my mind, I wasn't ready to be done with my forestry career at that age. I still felt that I had something left to give to the company I was working for. And uh, the question only remained was, did my boss, did my company still want me? So we got past that. And, and uh, uh, with my wife's support, and of course our three kids' support, I was able to get out of the bottom of the bucket and move on. Uh, it was a struggle, but that got me started. And uh, to me, that was important. It takes time, doesn't it, Tom? It takes a lot of time. And as I said earlier, it's a mental thing. First, first and foremost, you have to ment you have to deal with it mentally. So, yeah. What happened to me was I really didn't know what happened. The doctors said my vision had changed dramatically, but they didn't even give me the term low vision. I didn't even know what I was, so to speak, in the air quotes, and. I tried to look online, which was really, really hard. My friends and family started looking around for me. And I kept saying, but I'm not blind. I'm not blind. So that doesn't fit me. So what am I? And it was like an identity crisis in the medical field. And finally, a, a friend all the way in Chicago, after a few months, did a search for me and came up with FCB, Florida Council of the Blind, and Lighthouse. And I gave a call, and that was the beginning of finding support and finding out that I had a future, that um, I wasn't going to be crouched in that corner. That's a great visual, Tom, um, because I didn't know anybody with significant vision loss. I had never really encountered anybody before. I was 60 at that point, and I, I was dumbfounded. I, I was very, very scared. And so finding community and finding people to talk to um, was so vitally important to me. And, and discovering that, that it is a process. Yeah, I can add to that a little for the support group thing. I, uh, I asked my ophthalmologist, I said, okay, now what? What, what, you, what advice can you give me now? And he said, Tom, I'm a surgeon. He said, I don't understand what to do to help you out. We've done all we can do surgically. And so that's, that's when me and his receptionist decided to start a low vision support group, which we did. And then another thing, another prong to that was a, a fellow forester. He, he worked for the Forest Service at the time, but he was a member of a local Lions Club. Called me out of the blue one day after he had heard that I had a, a eye surgery and I was recuperating and and he said uh, what can I do for you can our lions group help you I said I I don't know I don't know what question to even to ask you Bill and he said well we have a lion center for the blind up in Sacramento we lived in northern California then and and he drove me up there and wow uh, that's great that's, that's where I got my first hand magnifier, you know, and and uh, and that's where it started. So that that's great support. Yeah, people reaching out to you. Yeah. So Tom, here's a question for us to start, and then for our 
participants to, to chime in with us. How do we cope with those feelings of isolation or being shut in, those tendencies and feelings that we sometimes have at the beginning and sometimes might crop up at different stages of isolation or feeling shut in? How do we cope with those? Very briefly, let's start off that discussion and then let our participants jump in with how what their suggestions are. Okay, uh, just real quickly. Uh, like I said, I worked in the timber industry. I was around a lot of truck drivers and a good friend of mine who was a log truck driver, he had gotten into an accident. He also had a little farm and put up hay and and uh, him and his wife got into an accident. Uh, they were hit by a bale wagon. And in that accident, uh, they were both okay, but he lost the vision uh, out of one of his eyes. And so that really put him into a tailspin. Could he keep driving? Would they even give him a, continue to give him a CDL so he could drive his log truck? And, and uh, turns out that they did and he did. But in his journey, he was an older fella, older than, quite a bit older than me. And he called me and, and he knew I was having eye troubles. How I helped myself was helping him. And uh, I soon found myself that I was the helper, not the helpee. And that's a role that I've kind of maintained to mentally get through all this for about 40 years. I've always wanted to be the helper and it worked, so. Excellent, excellent, yeah. I've kind of discovered that this spring and summer is that as I've stepped out and volunteered to do different things, that it comes back and helps me uh, be able to grow in my confidence and I'm meeting more people and they support me and. It, it's very mutual. It grows. So if people would start raising hands, if you have comments you want to share about how do you cope with isolation, feelings of being shut in or isolation? We've got our community calls now, but those strategies of dealing with those feelings, what do you do? What would you suggest? To raise your hand on the Mac, it's option Y. On the PC is alt Y. And on your screen, in the middle of your screen on the app, if you are using a mobile device, should be the raise hand button. And we have three raised hands. Oh, good. Dr. Martin, you may unmute. Hi. Um, my story is actually quite different from those of our two facilitators in that I became low vision at the age of seven months following a near fatal case of meningitis. Um, so I don't want to detract from that particular issue at this point. But what I did want to say is I have learned over the years that those of us who have had disabilities of any kind since birth or near birth owe a real debt of gratitude to those of you who acquired disabilities, disabilities in adulthood because you guys said, hey, wait a minute, I lived a decent life before now. I still want one. And, and I think... I mean, the civil rights movement got started, of course, with people of um, religious and racial minorities. 
And we were able to kind of ride in on the coattails of some of that, which I'm telling you to some extent, I'm dating myself age wise because I was aware <laughs> of all that. Um, but um, the other thing is, I think that between the people who came back from World War II injured and people, adults who acquired disabilities, who basically said, don't say I'm second class just because something changed, helped all of us who came along with the disabilities from birth or near birth. Mm -hmm. So if we, have, if we ever get into more of a discussion of people who had lifelong vision loss, uh, I'll chime in with my story then. But I just really wanted to get that comment in because I, I do think that you guys are owed a debt of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nora. That, that was one of the questions we had for later on. Thank you for being, bringing it to the forefront so we could acknowledge it. Thank you. Yeah. Winter Renfro, you may unmute. Go ahead, Winter. Hello, everyone. Um, Hello. My name is Winter Renfro, and I'm from the Kentucky Chapter Council with Low Vision, and I have RP. And uh, my journey has been hit and miss uh, throughout the years. But I'm like Tom. I find that uh, helping others helps me with my loneliness, isolation. Um, that's part of the reason why I went ahead and, um, you know, oh, what's word I'm looking for? Um, wanted to be a, one of the one of the leader leader fellows. Um, yep. I'm big into advocacy. That helps as well. I'm also a peer mentor for students that uh, have other disabilities. And, I, you know, if I can show someone um, that just because I have sight doesn't mean that, you know, <clears throat> put me in a corner and, and forget about me, you know, I, I feel like I'm doing something good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Winter. Yeah. Zelda Gebhardt, you may unmute. Hi, Zelda. Hi. Yeah, good afternoon. And I, I just want to thank both of you for being willing to share your, your stories with us and giving us an opportunity to speak also. Uh, Tom, when you, you described, um, you know, the pamphlet or the booklet you had seen in your, in your yeah. doc eye doctor's office, took me back, took me back to when, you know, for those of us who... Um, have had vision and have lost our vision somewhere along the, on the, you know, along life's journey. Um, we all can remember that, that moment when, when we got the diagnosis or when, when we had a dramatic decrease in our vision, um, you know, and, and where do we go from that? I, I like you, um, decided that, that I was not gonna, gonna just, curl up and, and, um, you know, quit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also, um, want to give my husband credit. Um, you know, I was married at the time I had three sons and, you know, he didn't, he didn't know what he was marrying. Cause I didn't know I was going to have this happen to me, but he, um, he accepted it and, and he was very supportive of me. Um, and he also, uh, when I would get to those moments, and I did, uh, where I felt really kind of sorry for myself, he would not let me stay there. You know, he, he would not tolerate that. And, and at the time, you know, I wasn't very, 
I wasn't very appreciative. <laughs> I wanted him to identify that, yes, I had lost a lot um, and that I, you know, I wanted him to empathize with me. But I think he knew that if he did, you know, I might get stuck in, in that dark place. And so I, too, like Kathy mentioned, I, I have made it a mission of mine to do what I can for others. It somehow helps me kind of deny where I'm at, although I've come to, to accept, um, you know, my vision loss. Um, but if, if I am doing for others um, and, and we can find many places to volunteer our time. Um, it makes me feel so much better, uh, if I can help somebody else out. Um, and for that reason, um, I'm not appreciative of my vision loss, but I, I have made it work for me so that I can be in a position to identify none of us have the same journey. And so we can't say, we know what you're going through, um, but we can say something similar happened to me and this may be how you can deal with it. So thank you. Yeah, I can. Excellent, I, Zelda. Yeah. And I, I think can, a, a, a real yeah. important thing for me is um, the sense that I'm walking along somebody as they're going through that journey. If they need help, you know, they don't need me. I can't fix it for them. I'm there as a companion to walk alongside and say, it happened to me too. I can understand some of it. You know, I'm here. And that's what people have been doing for me. They've been walking along next to me, feeling the pain, feeling the victories as well. Um, and I have to tell you, Tom's been one of those people for me. And we'll, we'll get to a real funny part as we go along. He, he called me up short one day. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, having those, that crowd around you. And that's the single most thing I would love for people to hear me say is find community, find your support community. That was, that has been the most important part for me. I went through two different bouts with my eye condition so far. Very rare that that happens. And when the second one hit, I was like, I've got to find the community again. I've got to get right back there and grab those life preservers because I felt like I was going right down. And um, our communities have not failed me once. It, it's just phenomenal what the visually impaired communities like in, in our affiliates, like CCLVI specifically for me and ACB in general. Are there more hands? There are Maybe four we'll, hands raised. Would you like to take them now or wait? Maybe we'll take two more and then okay. we'll go to the next topic. Yeah. Megan Downing, you may unmute. Go ahead, Megan. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Yeah. Um, hi, my name is Megan. Um, I'm actually a, the scholarship winner for the CCLVI this year, so I'm super grateful for that. And I'm, I'm glad to be here here today um and I just I'm really hearing all of you speak is just inspiring me to like kind of share what I do because I I lost my vision so I have Stargardt's disease um I lost the majority of my vision pretty quickly in about like six months when I was nine um and I went to like um a just like a regular school like all throughout my life and um I didn't really interact with any visually impaired people until about my like junior year of high school or something. So I had a, like a, a fair amount of my schooling and stuff interacting with like 
no visually impaired people or blind people. And so I was like kind of normalized to like sighted people and that stuff. And I would communicate um, some frustrations with, with my vision and stuff. But I realized about like a few years ago that I hadn't processed the loss of my vision. And I was so focused on not feeling pity from other people and like not taking those things like, oh, this is like a big bummer and like losing your vision and all this stuff. Like it's not an easy thing to go through. And I I feel like it all hit me my junior year of high school. And I realized that there's, there's such a balance in processing through these things and feeling isolated, but then also not wanting to feel sorry for yourself because they're there really isn't anything we can do about our vision loss and, and feeling sad for yourself is not going to really get you anywhere, but it's also important to like go through those feelings and understand that it's hard. And so that's something that I've been really working on the last few years is like taking my moment and being like, wow, this is like, Oh, not being able to read or like this book is not accepted. Like there's, there's smaller things that we have to really adapt to as visually impaired people. And, and taking that moment of being like, this is a bummer. But um, how can I overcome this? And I, I think it's important to remember the things that we can do. And like a lot of things that we might have a harder time with might bring us down sometimes. But that's something that's helped me a lot is that so music is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I'm a student at the Berkeley College of Music and and that's something I can do. And vision has nothing to do with my my love for music or if you're into swimming or going into the ocean or, or focusing on things that you're really successful on and pouring your energy into that instead of pouring your energy into something that might bring you down or make you feel isolated. Um, and I really like what I think it's Zelda, what she had to say about like having your support system of people that will kind of bring you out of that like slump of feeling yeah. sad and not great about yourself. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, those are some things that I've, I've really worked on and like also finding your blind community that obviously they haven't been through the same things you have, but being able to like hear you and be like, yeah, that sucks, but this is how I dealt with that. And um, so those are, those are some things that I've had to, that I've discovered helped me through my isolation or for feeling sad. Um, Thank you, Megan. Yeah, of course. Very well articulated, Megan. Excellent work there. Thank you. And congratulations once again. Mo Carpenter, you may unmute. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with the helping others, but not just the helping others, but just coming together because I spent years by myself just trying to blend in and disappear into the background and just trying to survive. And then I found this community of people, just the ACB community at a whole. And now I've learned that I have a voice and that it's not just, just the helping others, but it's coming together and figuring out, you know, my voice matters and that together I know, because, because when you're in a world of blindness, you just don't know what you don't know. And then you come with other blind people and you're like, oh yeah, that's how I give my voice a background. And that's, that's where this actually fits into the bigger picture. And I didn't realize that till I was with a community of other blind people. That's all I had to say. Thank you. Very well said, Mo. Yeah. Thank you so much. Before we so, you move know, on real quick, Kathy, I'm going to say, talking about pity parties, Zelda kind of, kind of touched on it. I remember when the kids were in junior high and we'd be out in the backyard, I was trying to do something 
and I couldn't do it as well as I used to because by golly, now I had a vision problem. And I'd be trying to mow the lawn or trying to stack, stack the wood and get the pile straight. And I can remember a few times when I just have a meltdown. And the boys got to the point where they just took off and left me alone, went to the house. Mom, he's doing it again. And then my wife would come out and light me up real quick and say, hey, bub, this isn't about you. You know, and so I can remember those days very well. So. Very good. Thank you for sharing that, Tom. You know, so Tom and I thought about this topic, too. And it means different things to both of us. So, so we wanted to share it with you and give you a chance to chime in. So think about this one. So now there is an elephant in the room. And to me, <laughs> that elephant means elephant in the room means that I see my friends and family just last week. I haven't seen them in five years. That's before any of my vision loss. They don't want to talk about it. They don't talk about it with me. And I think the biggest issue, they don't know how to talk about it. And they don't know if it's okay to talk about it. It's to such an extent, they don't really know if it's even okay to ask if I'm okay. It's like this huge elephants in the room and, and nobody can dodge this thing. And it's the blindness. People don't know how to interact with people who are blind to begin with, it appears, people who are visually impaired. I use a white cane now. So most people understand what that means. We can all tell stories about that if you use a white cane. But when I meet people, I have had to learn, and this is really recent. Tom and I talked about it Saturday. I have to learn to use my voice and say things like, oh, I've, I've just met you. I can't see your face, but I will learn your voice. I will begin to recognize your voice. And so, frankly, I have to accommodate the sighted people in my life and cross the bridge first because they really are lost as to how to handle this with me. And um, it, it's very odd and, it, and it's very difficult, especially when it's family and friends. But when, once you start opening it up, it gets a little easier, et cetera. So, Tom, there's an elephant in the room. What's that mean to you? I didn't even know the phrase elephant in the room until Kathy mentioned it to me when we were talking a while back. And, but I, I remember the concept. And now, that, now she's put a label on it for me. And I, as I said earlier, I was in the middle of my career and I was, uh, I'd be wandering around our, our sawmill office and there was uh, folks that worked in the office and they knew that I had a vision problem and they didn't know how to approach me. They didn't know what to say, how, what to ask. And, and this, I think I need to say this uh, because CCLVI is all about people with low vision. Not so much people that are totally blind, but uh, they're certainly included, but low vision issues. When you're low vision, that takes on a whole different uh, 
meeting for does people. it ever yes it's because confusing of the, <laughs> of the wide um, visual acuity problem you know so low vision to one person is different from low vision to, to another person and so and so finally we just had to have a little discussion in our in our office and and I, I had to just tell them you know I really don't know what's going on I can kind of see things but then there's some things I can't see I didn't really know how to describe it to them but I said you know we're all kind of a big family here so the, the best way to do this, we're just going to meet it head on. So if you see me wandering around the office and you think I'm going to run into something, scream at me, you know, or or uh, if I need help, I'm going to holler out to somebody that whose desk I think I might be next to and just ask for help. And, and the same went when I would go to conferences and conventions. I would have to force myself to ease myself gradually into a conversation of uh, say four or five people standing in the standing by the coffee pot i could hear what they were saying but i couldn't really see good enough to identify their faces so i really didn't at that time know know who they were and so um, that elephant in the room was alive and well but you need to own your problem and help others help you with the problem. And that kind of that kind of kicks that elephant out of the room real quick. So <laughs> I have a visual in my head when you're saying that. <laughs> yeah, you guys have to understand Kathy is, you know, she's our she's our doctor on the call. I'm just a country guy kind of you know going through this and and kind of learning as I go. She can put it in a lot better words than I can, folks. So. <laughs> so, so other people have some comments about this elephant in the room? You have four hands raised. Oh, okay. Okay. Cheryl McNeil Fisher, you may unmute. Oh, Cheryl. Uh, what comes to mind is, of course, when Kathy said that I was helping her that just blew my mind you know I'm you know I had her thinking oh she knows everything you know <laughs> and um but helping people throughout the years has been great for me because I've gone through so much I've learned so much and and I'm still learning because as soon as my vision may settle it shifts and yeah. so when I worked with kids it was about learning to shift gears you know, when something is maybe not working here. Okay, so now what can I do? And look, for me, I'm a uh, a problem solver. You know, I'm going to figure it out. My friends call me MacGyver. And so I'm always going to be looking for the solution and being in that solution. And that's what's gotten me through. But I did want to touch on that. Not everybody um, has support. And finding that support, as you guys are talking about, when I first lost my sight, I went back to college, but I also went through a divorce. I lost um, eventually my profession. I had to change that. I remember crying, thinking, okay, now who am I? Because I was my profession. And then before you knew it, I had four different titles, you know. So um, I've learned over the years, and thank you, God, for 12-step programs and Al-Anon and everything, um, that's what got me through, too, is that uh, I can talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, 
And before you know it, I'm talking about something else. That elephant in the room is, um, you know, there's always going to be one somewhere. And so it's just a matter of, you know what, quit knocking into it and let's walk around it. And if you need to deal with it, you know, you deal with it when you can. We pick and choose when it's there. But there's no easy answer. And um, I just get very emotional with all this because it's just, it's still there, you know. And we, uh, we all just keep growing and loving each other. And I can't say enough about this community and what I've found in this past year. I've been losing my sight. It's been 27 years since I've had a guide dog. And this is absolutely amazing. So, and, and then Kathy and I connected and it's something I've been wanting for quite a while since I published my first book. Now we're working together on our podcast and stuff. So um, thank you. And thank you, Tom. And I will always, I was kidding. And, you know, this, but, and I, luckily I'm not a jealous person or I'd be like, you can't have my friend. <laughs> I love oh, you, yeah. Kathy. I love you so much. And you know, what's great. She thinks in cartoons like me. So we're both visual that way. So thank you guys. Have fun. Yeah. That's part of it too. Thanks. Thank Thanks, you. Cheryl. <laughs> Braille chicken whisperer. You may unmute. <laughs> now that's a Hello, can right you hear there. Me? Yes. yes, we can. And we want to know why that's your name. Yeah, what is that all about? <laughs> um, actually, for several years, I was a single mom. And that was my way to um, be able to be online oh. and uh, keep my name and location and that kind of thing private. But my name is Tanya. Um, I live in <laughs> <Indiana>. <laughs> Okay. And... Um, to me, the elephant in the room is low vision, but not in the way most people think about. I'm working on a project right now where I'm putting together every state's optometry act. Every state has their own optometry act, and none of the 50 states in the union include low vision in their optometry act. And let me just say for people like me that are low vision, but need special glasses or special equipment to be able to use my usable vision, it is a travesty to not have low vision included in the optometry acts. So that is a project I have been working on and I see over and over and over in all 50 states low vision is the elephant in the room. It really truly is. It's, it's something that everybody knows is there, but they're not willing to do anything about it. And I think it's time that we all stood up and said, you need to do something about it. Let's at least talk about it. It's right there in front of you. Talk about it. Thank you very much for hearing my thoughts. Tanya, I have a question. Are you going to publish your findings when you finish your research? Um, that is a possibility. Uh, right now, my husband and I are discussing the possibility of putting them on my website. Okay. Um, I am the owner and operator of Essentially Braille. I'm a Braille transcriptionist. Okay. And so uh, we are actually looking at a separate page on my website where everybody will be able to go and access their state's optometry okay. app. 
and take a look and see whether or not low vision is included. So far, I have not found any state that includes it. So I'm hoping to publish all of this on the website, yes. This would be very, very useful information. Wow. Tanya, yeah. at the end of this um, session, I'm gonna be sharing contact information for CCLVI and also my um, professional email address. Um, and so I'd ask you to get in touch with me. Um, um, I'm newly elected to our board for CCLVI, and um, I'm sure that we would like to keep in touch with you to make sure that we can learn about your continued information there. Yeah. Thank you. And next hand. Dr. Martin, you may unmute. Hello again. Um, Megan, thank you very much for your comments about um, balance because having worked, well, for a variety of reasons, I can say it, it is an individual journey, whatever the adjustment is, but it is also a balancing act. You cannot try to just say, I'm going to make it not matter. I'm, you know, I'm going to, you can't try to roll over the, the downside. You got to go through some of those and your support system needs to let you. But it's also true you don't want to get stuck in it. As for the elephant in the room, I have two, and I'll go through them quickly so other people have lots of time. Um, the first one is, yes, you know, I, in a lot of ways, I am like everyone else, but in some ways, I'm different. And the reason I say that is that I just recently had a high school reunion, and I was expressing gratitude to the school because at the time they admitted me it was a private school. They didn't have to take me. There's a long story to why I went that route. But the bottom line is, one of my classmates said, oh, well, we never thought of you as, as being different. Well, that was part of the problem. Because in that, in one respect, I was, well, too, because I also have a, a hearing loss. Um, we are alike in a lot of ways, but we are also different. And all of that needs to be viewed as being part of an individual. And I don't think a lot of people get that. And the other elephant for me is, legally blind the word blind because as soon as i say that almost invariably people think i'm i'm saying i'm blind and i'm not and i'll give you one example i was um i had a practice well i still do but i'm not doing much of it but as a neuropsychologist and there was one family i was working with with a father the, the child was actually in a residential treatment center for mental um, health issues. So the father didn't actually see me interact with the child, but he'd been told by the referring therapist that I was legally blind. And we had several phone conversations, and I actually spoke to him about things I had observed, things you cannot know unless you can see what is happening. And at the end of about the fourth conversation, he said, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. He said, how can you do this if you're blind? Because I'm not blind. <laughs> I'm low vision, but there are certain circumstances when if people, I mean, it, it, again, it's a balancing act because there are certain circumstances where people who are blind, that, uh, those around them don't get it. But there are also certain circumstances where if we, if we have to use that term legally blind, they automatically think blind. And that, that shuts down doors for us as well, even socially. So another balancing act but that's the elephant for me. Thank you, Dr. Martin. I, 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 with people now that I'm totally blind, 
I always kind of chuckle when I get leave the house because they're in in the house and in my yard. I don't I don't wear my uniform. I call it that my sunglasses and my white cane. That's my uniform. Okay, but when you're low vision, you don't use that stuff. You may be that guy with those goopy looking glasses that have big bubble lenses or something like that. And you may run into something once in a while. And so uh, I agree. This legally blind definition, if you will, is a very, very misleading, misunderstood and nebulous term. And it's uh, confusing to a lot of people around you the minute you say it. So. Would you like to take any more hands right now, or do you want to go on? One, one more hand, yeah. please. All right. We Marianne Solomon, you may unmute. Go ahead. Hello. Can you hear me okay? Yes. We yes. Can. Thank you. I'm in that quagmire. Um, I did not know that I had retinitis pigmatosa until I was 28. My, parent, my father especially uh, did not want me to have that information because he thought that I would not be marketable or no one would want to marry me, no one would want to hire me, etc. Um, the minute I found out that that's why I kept bumping into things, that I wasn't clumsy, I turned into a problem solver. Um, and I can relate to a lot of the people that have spoken earlier. Um, I, I managed to get my degree in clinical psychology, um, and I had a private practice. I do not look as though I have a problem with my vision, and I have spent the majority of my life trying to put that forth. Uh, we have a phrase in, in, in psychology called fake it to make it, and that has been the way I have lived my life. Um, my husband passed away in 2019. He was my uh, sighted guide. Uh, I didn't really have a problem until he died. And then all of a sudden, here I am. You know, I knew that I would have a problem with the progressive um, narrowing of my fields of vision. That was no problem. You can adjust to that because it happens gradually. But guess what? My frontal vision went on me. And now I've got a blurred, you know, little tube of vision left. And it is very cumbersome for me to, to try and figure out how to make it through this, this thing. Um, I was lucky enough to move to Rochester, Minnesota. There are people here that have been very supportive. Uh, I was able to get in touch with the state services for the blind. They immediately came to my rescue and helped me in whatever way they could. Uh, and I'm, I also was very lucky to have Zoom because now uh, from March of 2020, when I moved here till now, I can Zoom my way anywhere. <laughs> I mean, I know all kinds of people. Where I'm at a loss at this point is actual in-person interaction. And how do I do it? How do I get adjusted to the fact that I have now come to that point in my life where 
for safety's sake especially, not to mention guidance, I have to use that white cane that I've had in the closet for the last 20 years. Um, you know, uh, that's where I'm at at this particular point. And a lot of the suggestions that I'm hearing today have been quite helpful. But I am also reaching out and saying I don't have all the answers as usual. Yeah. And uh, I can use all the help I can get at this point. I don't think anyone has all the answers. I've really enjoyed listening to you and Dr. Martin. You're skilled people in this, in this mental world. And uh, I, I enjoy listening to your perspectives on some of this stuff that we're talking about. Mary, um, I would say that um, you've hit a difficult time because I had to pick up the white cane in February of this year. And um, O&M, Orientation and Mobility Training, is not available right now in Tennessee where I am. And I'm stumbling. I'm really struggling. And so I've been using Hadley videos and listening to those online. And I'm going to have to look for somebody to work with me in person. Um, we're just ramping up again to being able to get in-person services in many states. And so um, I think connecting with your affiliates, the state association, your local, if there's a regional, and then also us um, will continue to... Uh, support you as you're finding those services and give suggestions. I hope that helps, Mary. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult time having this happen, uh, even during the tail end of the pandemic. It's been a great struggle. Yeah. So the, the next thing um, that we wanted to talk about, we've got a little less than half an hour left, yeah. Tom, just so you know, and for yeah. our audience. Um, is that we were thinking about uh, support networks. And I think we've covered that a good deal and quite a bit of our participants have addressed this. And I think a lot of what we're hearing, if I could kind of summarize is affiliate groups, uh, state services, Mary just mentioned that, uh, low vision support, family, friends, um, husbands, wives, um, children, um, my adult children have been very supportive of me as they've helped me um, in the role of validation. Not all people can't always fix things, but they can validate what you're going through and the experience and walk alongside you is kind of the image that I think of. And we've talked about, several of us have talked about the benefit of helping others, but Tom and I have talked at length about the benefit of receiving help and being open to that. Tom, I wanted to bring up our question about our relationship. This is gonna be a great one for you, Tom. The, our relationship with technology and vision, visual impairment. And we were talking about how our relationship with technology shifts in several different ways with this. And Tom and I are kind of like, almost polar opposites in this. And so it's kind of cool. Um, but there are many variations in this as well. And we're not that too far different in age. So different generations, I know for a fact, have different experiences in this as well. Um, but Tom, what would you say about relationship with technology when you have visual impairment? 
Well, yeah, I, to me, I'm 74 years old, okay? And so when I, back when I started losing my vision, this was before PCs. And uh, then during my career, we started hiring young fellas to work on our staff and a couple gals and they all come out of college and they knew how to run a computer. And they so were Tom, to clarify, you're talking about we were in mainframes back then, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I went through my career not learning, not knowing anything about computers. I just get one of the folks on our staff to, to help me do this or that. Our, our executive director, we called her. We didn't call her a secretary because she did a lot more for us than just type letters. And, and she was pretty techie and they all grew up with it. I did not. And so it was a kind of a generational thing with me. I didn't know how to learn how to run a computer until way after my career was over and we moved here to Wyoming and, and I reached out to a Montgomery Trust Fund, which we have here to help me get it get a computer and then I had to learn how to run it. And I did. Uh, that learning curve was a lot steeper than it would have been had I had to deal with my blindness issue, my low vision issue. Um, uh, when I was younger, some of the folks on here started coping with things when they were in grade school, some high school and then college. And when you're younger, your brain, your brain can deal with this stuff a whole lot easier than when you're older and not only deal with the concept of technology, which is just amazing to me what's out there that can be very helpful to us as low vision and blind people. But I find that now I'm having to, I can't overload my brain. Uh, I can do it very easily if I try to learn more than one device at a time or, or one skill or one task. Uh, younger people with <laughs> people with younger brains can do this more easily than the older folks. And so um, I'm very receptive to knowing about technology, but learning it is coming a little bit slower the older I get. So that's yeah. absolutely true. Um, yeah. I had two major specialties as a professor. I'm a specialist in how adults learn, adult learning. Who knew there was such a specialty, right? Yeah. Um, and also instructional technology. So I am a techie through and through. A great day to me is ripping apart a computer and putting all new parts in it. <laughs> I'm a hardware and software person, or so I thought I was. I thought that was in the past until this spring when I started getting back into using my technology with my um, reduced vision again. So I gravitate towards technology, Tom. I'm not technophobic. I'm technophilic, okay? And yet, even with that, I struggled mightily. I was so frustrated because I couldn't do things the way I always had. I'm so much slower than I used to be. This should take me two minutes to do, and it's taking me literally an hour and a half to do. You know, I can't do the things the way I want to do it. I have to do it a different way. I have to learn all these voiceover gestures, which I still haven't mastered. 
The crazy little rotor thing drives me wacky. Um, I can just go on and on. You don't need that rant. Um, but I'm adjusting. I'm learning. Cheryl's one of my mentors in this area. Um, but it is a struggle. And yet I sit down and I say, Kath, can you imagine if you were not a tech person, what this would be like? Can you imagine if you were somebody that had never used, really used technology much in your work and in your life before this happened? How far behind, how much more difficult all of this would have been for you? And so I'm thankful for that, but I'm so mindful that we have many people in that situation because their work did not involve technology. And so talking about this as an instructional technology expert, what Tom's talking about is very true. As we, as we age, as we're mature adults, we'll call it, um, learning one gadget or one function at a time is really the way to go, breaking it down into steps and pieces, not trying to do the whole thing at once. Um, it's really important Get, getting those small victories and building on them and gaining confidence, having that mentor that can work with you virtually, and then having somebody that come and sit next to you in person um, is really important as well. Yep. So we wanted to open up to the group and say we thought this would be a great sharing topic as people with visual impairment. What's one technology that you can't live without? <laughs> Kathy What's Farina, one you may tech unmute. you can't live without? Go ahead, Kathy. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes we hey, can. This is this is Kathy Farina. Um, congratulations to Tom and Kathy for a great presentation here. Um, I think the thing that I have learned to um, really depend on a lot is my iPhone. I have learned how to use it. Not that I know everything about it, but I can do so much on it. Um, the screen is small enough where I can navigate it without, you know, too much difficulty. And I can I can read talking books on it. I can check my email. Email. I can um, I can even make phone calls. Woohoo! <laughs> but that's my that's the thing that I have found uh, very useful. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah. Winter yes. Renfro, you may unmute. Oh, winter. Yeah. Winter, what's your favorite tech? Okay. Hey. Sorry, it took me a minute to, to find that silly mute button. Um, I actually have a tie in between what I can't live without. Um, years ago, I was introduced to the, the lovely iPhone, and you can do so many things on it, but I've even expanded into more Apple products, <clears throat> such as the iPad and my watch. And it's awesome because if you're using your phone and you need to send a, a quick text, you can do it through your watch and, and you know, check, you know, it, it gives you alerts. You know, you can have your little calendar thing in the corner. It's just it's very organized and it helps me keep up with things. So... Like I said, I have I have a tie in between the three. See, Excellent, I, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm impressed, Winter. I mean, here you are, I, and I'm still learning how to use my iPhone, and now I got to learn to use an iPad, and now you're talking about a watch. You know, Winter, I'm thinking, holy cow! In the rest of my life, <laughs> am I ever going to learn how to run a watch? 
that talks to me, you know, and, you know, it's techie. So, cool. <laughs> Allie, you may unmute. Yeah. Hi there. First of all, this has been a great um, call. You've done a great job with it, and I can really appreciate how interactive it's been. But I'm glad that the iPhone has already been mentioned because that was one of the things I was thinking of. But mine is the Humanware Braille Note Apex. It is considered outdated. However, I really like um, the email system on it. I like the way that I can read my books easily. And I really like the way that my documents can be organized. So I could not live without that. I Anytime it acts up, I become very upset. Allie, that must be a note taker. Is that true? Yeah. It's not just a Braille display. It sounds like it's a note taker. Correct. It is a note taker. It, it, there's okay. a lot on the internet that it cannot access because um, it runs on Internet Explorer, which I actually like Internet Explorer. So it's kind of a bummer for me. But. Yes. Very good. Thank you very much for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, how about how, a couple of more? Okay, a couple yeah. more. Uh, let's see. Carson, you may unmute. Uh, so two pieces, there's actually two I would like to mention. One of them being an iPad. This is because I used an iPad throughout high school and late middle school as my technology mainly as a way to not have to push around like a CCTV call or anything so throughout the halls of high school. And ultimately that helped me a lot because my school uses Google Classroom a lot. And so with it right there and not having to pull out a MacBook or something else, I could just switch from a camera to see what was on the board. So that was really beneficial. Uh, along those lines, also Google Classroom, just because I would be able to stay organized and know what I had to do, but ultimately made me succeed and, uh, and made me lucky enough to have the success that I did. Thank you. Thank you, Carson. One more. Yeah. Chris Schumacher, you may unmute. I would say that it's a tie between my laptop and my iPhone. And what I would say to people, what I would say to people is um, in certain situations, I, I kind of use both. I, I do grocery mm -hmm. delivery through Instacart. And yep. I may start my order on the Instacart website with my computer and go through, and, and that seems to go faster for me. But then the process, once I place the order and I'm waiting for it and I'm hearing all the progress and everything else of when it's coming and, and the substitutions and stuff, again, I turn on the computer and the iPhone and whatever seems to be coming up for me the fastest so I won't get frustrated. I would say to people, you know, sometimes you're not as fast on the iPhone. That's okay. If you can accomplish it with the computer, that's great. Thank you. Very good. Using your resources and making them work for you. Excellent. So, Tom, we're running out of time, but I want to get to one more topic here <laughs> because we have to get in your favorite expression. You know, sometimes we can get stuck, and people have mentioned this, we can get stuck maybe in the slump, but we also can get stuck in a I can do it myself syndrome. And it's almost like, I can do it myself. Thanks. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. I'm going to do this. And we end up sometimes 
accomplishing what we need to. And we're happy with that. But sometimes we're banging our head against the wall. Uh, Tom kind of expresses this in a very um, vernacular way, I would say. And he had to tell me this one day. Well, everybody on this call, I, I know you know that there's a lot of information. There's a lot of technology. There's a lot of devices out there that are available to us to help us through our low vision journey. And, and then after you've um, evolved into total blindness, if that's where it ends up for you. And uh, I've said this at some of our state conventions and I lived this and my wife's the, there again, I keep mentioning her, but she's the one that actually told me, I'm gonna quit taking you with me when we go to the store until you, unless you start using that white cane. I had one, but I wasn't using it and uh, because I just had a stigma about it. And so what I, what I tell people now, and I don't mean to be insulting at all, but you need to be able to deal with it. Don't be a stubborn bonehead. You know, take advantage of some of these things that are out there. They're all out there to simply help you deal with your with your handicap, with your disability, however you want to describe it. Uh, get a white cane, take orientation and mobility training so you can know how to use your cane. Uh, if you're into the technology, uh, figure out how to use your screen reader. I mean, that's my best friend when I'm using my computer. I can't run it without the screen reader. So that's my option. But Take the time to learn how to do some of this stuff. Don't be a bonehead. There it is, Kath. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's straight out there. That's pretty clear yeah. what the meaning yeah. is. But I we mean it I in have. the very kindest way. <laughs> yeah. The yes. very kindest way. Yeah, it and it, it, yeah. <laughs> it helps wake you up and, and realize that sometimes yeah. some issues are really hard to get over that hurdle. For me, uh, I'm an author. I've written quite a few books and different things. And because I couldn't use the old system I always used for doing my writing, I and I want to do writing in my retirement, I was so frustrated. And I didn't want to talk to my former colleagues. I didn't want them to know what had happened to me. And Tom says, Kath, quit being a bonehead. Just get out there and talk to them. Start doing it. You know, and I was like... Yeah, nobody else would say it to me, but Tom would, you know. <laughs> I can add to this a little bit. And this and this goes to our friend right across the street. He has Parkinson's, okay? And he's like me. He was a Midwest farm kid, okay? And so you kind of learned, to, you grew up being independent, and now uh, you're not going to ask anyone for help because you can do everything. You're invincible. And you know what? I found out over the years that, the most enjoyment I get in life is helping others uh, uh, with whatever task it is. Back when I could see, now when I'm blind, I still get that big. And the most enjoyable thing is to help people. Well, okay, put the shoe on the other foot. There's a lot of people now out there that are willing and very capable to help me to help you with your vision 
problems that you're in tasks. Be gracious enough to allow them to help you. And I, and I say that very deliberately because it just has kind of dawned on me as my friend evolves through his Parkinson's. Uh, I want to go and help him do some yard work. No, I can't see what I'm doing. But if he or his wife kind of gives me a little direction, like, like raking up the branches when he's trimming his heads. I can trim the heads, but I can rake up the branches. If he were to allow me to help him, I would really feel great that I was able to help a friend. So be gracious enough to let others help you because you'll make yourself feel good. And even more importantly, you'll make them feel even better. So how's that, Kath? Absolutely. You're About right on target minutes. with it. Is that better Thank than you. don't be a bonehead? <laughs> <laughs> I think both serve well in different circumstances. So as we're close to wrapping up here, um, Tom and I want to extend an invitation to you folks. Um, we've enjoyed preparing this. We both um, very much enjoy facilitating support groups and um, see, know the value of them firsthand. And we want to see if there's interest in um, CC. LVI hosting a Zoom call, low vision support group. Um, please contact us if you're interested and let us know your availability, days, nights. Um, we're thinking about once a month, probably in the evening to accommodate people that work. And you may call or email us. Um, we have a CCLVI information line and that's toll free 844-460. 0625. You can get that number at our website, cclvi.org, and you click contact us, and it's right there. I also have an email I can give you on the air, and it's writingworkspodcast at gmail.com, writingworkspodcast at gmail.com. That's the podcast that Cheryl mentioned we do together. Um, and another thing that we want to mention is the great support of CCLVI. Please visit the website, cclvi.org. There are terrific resources, community calls, activities, and the publication Vis Vision Access is available there for you folks. And all of this is great information. We have a great resource page at cclvi.org. May I give the are closing CEU code? Go ahead. Perfect. Okay. Yes, perfect. Yeah. The closing CEU code, I will read it twice, is 64406. Again, that is 64406. Thank you. Thank you, Tom, for a wonderful session. It was wonderful, Kathy. I, I, I enjoyed it. I hope, every, hope everyone else did, too. So. If I think we might have two more minutes. If there are any hands, yeah. any comments for us? Yeah. There are two hands raised. Perfect. Kathy Farina, you may unmute. Okay. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Okay. Just wanted to say congratulations to both of you. It was a, an excellent presentation. And it is okay to ask for help. 
Um, you also, you need a toolkit with all kinds of things in it, technology, low tech. Uh, it's important that you are able to use everything you can get your hands on to get you through the day. Thank Excellent. You. Very well said, Kathy. Thank yeah. you. Zelda Gebhardt, Zelda? you may unmute. Yes. Oh. Hi. It, I'm back, you guys. I just wanted to say that um, I am the CCLVI membership chair, and I would very much like you to, when you go to the CCLVI website, to check us out. And it's easy to become a member just right online there. Um, or you can you can find more information about how you can be a part of this organization. And we we have the gambit from some some vision to no vision. And um, we would we would welcome you all as a member of CCLBI. Thanks. Thank you, Zelda. Thanks, Zelda. Can I is there a way for us to know how many folks uh, jumped on our call today? I'd be interested in, in knowing. At the height, you had 44 on the call. And of course, we don't know how many were on ACB Media. So. Okay. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us. We had a good time. Thank you. We know there were a lot of sessions running at the same time. Yeah. So.